It's a look at the paradoxal marvel of grace and mercy. Today, here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, welcome to the broadcast. We're in Psalm 103, looking at verses 10 through 17 today. It's there that we catch up with Pastor Jesse, focusing in on the fact that our Heavenly Father, He knows our frailty. He remembers that we are but dust. Please join us for a very encouraging look at the amazing grace held out to us in Jesus Christ by our Heavenly Father. For the details, here's Pastor Jesse on today's broadcast of Way of Grace. You will turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 103. The title of our message today, as you see it, is He Knows Our Frailty. He knows our frailty. And I want to convince you, ladies and gentlemen, to get to know your God. Because to the degree that you get to know him, you get to know yourself. Because his knowledge to you is eternal life, and it liberates you to grow and to mature and to prosper. And when our text says he knows our frailty, we are coming from that portion of the psalm that we closed out last week where we called it the exposition of God's historical workings redemptively. Do you guys remember that? In any sound teaching, we are going to use history to give us lessons about where we are and where we're going. That is the work of what? The Holy Ghost. He takes the things of the past, shows you their meaning and then their relevance in order that we might have a successful future. And our text before us, verses 10 through 17, expands and explains for us God's working. And I really want us to go back and look at that portion under this particular title, He Knows Our Frailty. And for those of you who may be right now even struggling with how well God knows you, ask God to give you grace to listen today so that your soul can benefit from God's knowledge of you. See, really, the only, the only important thing is that you and I know that God knows us. And it's not even so much about you knowing God as much as God knowing you. Your security doesn't come in how much you know about God, but how much you know God knows about you. And this is what David was able to say, who is also the writer of this Psalms. Lord, you know me. Does God know us? You know me. And see, this is the basis of an authentic relationship, right? Because where we get in trouble is we thought we knew them, right? Or they thought they knew us. But with God, it's not so. God knows. And I want you to be able to go in your deepest troubles, God knows. In your deepest distress, God knows. In your deepest perplexities, I want you to be able to go, he knows. I want you to be able to go, he knows in your most profound joys. In your greatest delights, you want to know, you know what? God knew that all along. When you're dancing with God, I want you to go, he knows. I want the foundation of your joy to be that he what? He knows. He knows. He knows. And the psalmist lays out this magnanimous magnanimous description of God our Father 
in language that is really worthy of our contemplation. I'm going to be lifting up uh, verses 14 and verse 7 to basically frame a proposition to you. In Psalm 103, we read in verse 7, he made known his ways unto Moses. Do you see that? And his acts unto the children of Israel. But I'm going to tell you why God made known his ways. It's because of verse 14. Look at verse 14 with me, if you will. Do you see what it says? For he knoweth our frame. Do you see it? Here's the proposition. Because God knows, God shows. That's, that's good, right? Because God knows, God what? Because God knows us, he shows us himself. Because he knows everything about us, he shows us just enough about him to help settle us around what we know about ourselves. In other words, in order to help us handle us, God shows us himself. Are y'all walking with me? Right, because truth be told, on a good day, you will tell the truth that all your trouble starts with you. But when you know God knew it before the foundation of the world, and God had a plan for it. The only thing you need to know is him. And what God does is what a good father does who really does know his children. God shows his children that he knows his children. Don't we often struggle with whether or not our parents know us? Didn't we struggle with that in our youth under the delusion that somehow we were the most unique being on planet earth and that while mama and daddy had us, they didn't quite know what they had here. They didn't quite know this. Mama, you, you don't know me. Daddy, you don't know me. Y'all don't quite understand me. Isn't that the way they talk when they get beside themselves? You don't even know. You don't know me. Please believe me. Your parents know you. And I'm getting ready to unpack that in the analogy of God the Father with us to help you know that they know. And with you who are fathers, I want you to know your knowing your children determines how you reveal yourself to them. If you want to be of edification and building them up and encouraging them, what you know about them determines what you show them about yourself. And so our text really lays out for us something that is absolutely phenomenal, and it really does lie under your first point. If you look at your first point, I call this a paradoxical reflection and marvel of God's grace and mercy. This is going to be verses 11 through 14. This is a paradoxical reflection of God's grace and mercy. This is about how God shows us who he is and what he does because he knows us for who we are and what we do. Y'all got that? God shows us who he is and what he does because he knows us for who we are and what we do. And the two are paradoxical in nature, and they're supposed to bring you comfort. Because what God shows you in verses 11 through 13, or we will start at verse 10, rather, and work our way through verse 14, is how eminently transcendent God is in his goodness to you and me, over against the mess that we are by nature. God shows us how eminently transcendent he is to you and me over the mess that we are in our own life. 
he shows us the surpassing reality of his own intrinsic goodness in direct relationship to our intrinsic evil. He shows us the surpassing beauty and splendor and reality of his intrinsic goodness over against our intrinsic evil. God shows us the glory and splendor of his goodness, his name, and his work over against our intrinsic evil. Can you see it there? Watch how this language goes. Now, you've heard it a lot of times, but we're going to savor it now. We're going to savor it now so you can know how God shows you who he is in relationship to who we are. You've heard this before over in verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. You guys got that? Now stay with me now. Watch this. What the psalmist just did was showed us an aspect of God's mercy that is directed toward those who are his. Now, what did he just show you? He showed you what I'm calling a, 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 a radical and magnificent metaphor or analogy, a, a blasting analogy of something that really you and I can't fully comprehend. But it's designed to give us an insight into God's nature. What does he say? He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. You got that? Now, how high is that? Are you ready? Limitless. Limitless. So I'm going to show you a tri-directional metaphor that God uses to demonstrate his character and his love in the context of forgiveness for his people. And he wants you to know him because he knows you. Now, when you think about God's mercy to you, what you get to think about under the rubric and metaphor of the heavens being higher than the earth. Now, can you imagine David saying that back in his day when there was little knowledge of anything beyond our own solar system on a human level? But y'all do know that David is not really the author of this text. It is the Holy Ghost. And do you know that the Holy Ghost was the third person that garnished the heavens? So did the Holy Ghost know that there were billions and billions and billions and hundreds of billions of galaxies out there way beyond our hemisphere, our atmosphere, our stratosphere, our, our what is called ionosphere? Do you know that? That when you go up, you never have a ceiling. When you go up, you never have a ceiling. In other words, when you think about God's mercy upward, it's limitless. You know what that means, child of God? When you know you need mercy, but you feel like you shouldn't ask for it, that's the time you ask for it because mercy should never be asked for on the basis of merit. You ask for mercy when you don't feel like you should get mercy. And know this, that when you go to that bank, it is never exhausted. It's never empty. It's never going to reject your car because there is an infinite, exhaustless, limitless vault of mercy with God for his people. I am good to go. This is why 
The New Testament writer Paul uses the term, are you ready? The riches of his mercy and his grace. But God, who was rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses and sins, quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. You better get a hold of the mercy right now. Get a hold of it. And know this, anytime I slide that card, it's always good. Now, it's important to get it because the struggle is not with God. The struggle is going to be with you and me. The struggle is going to be whether or not I'm going to the ATM machine and slide it one more time. Now, I didn't slid this card seven times today. Will it work the eighth time? Will it work the 800th time? Will it have worked the 8,000th time? Is the strip on the back going to wear out? No. I can slide that card till I breathe my last breath, and the bank will stay full of the upward mercy of God in Christ. How many of y'all believe that? Raise your hand, burst some energy, of the upward mercy of God in Christ. He knows our frailty. And he has stored up limitless mercy in relationship to it. But he goes on to say something else in terms of what I call exploding metaphorical and analogous language here that you and I are supposed to appreciate. Look at what he says over verse, at verse 12. Are you there? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Please understand that we are now moving into another astounding metaphorical analogy relevant to the idea of God's mercy. If I simply ask you the question, how far is the east from the west? Do you know what you have to answer? Too far too far for them to ever bump into each other. That's how far they are. Do you know what God is explaining here? That when he removes our transgressions, they go from us in an unretrievable way, an irrevocable, immutable way. Watch this, a unidirectional way. You get the picture? When he removes them and they begin to depart from you, they keep going in one direction and they go and go and go until they vanish. Do you see it? They vanish because they can never ever meet up against the West to come back through the back door and get you again. Oh, God is good. Right. Even if you wanted to, even if you wanted to watch your sins go away. And here is a kind of insight into why God would lift your sins and take them away. We'll get down into that as we deal with other aspects of God's forgiveness today. What comfort does it bring to a soul to watch God distance, increasingly distance you from your sin? What comfort does it bring for you to see your sins getting further and further and further and further away from you until they disappear? You see, God, there is an unlimited measure of mercy. There is an unretrievable act of forgiveness on God's part. What this means for those those of us who know doctrine, God will never, ever bring up our sins again. 
and accuse us with them or by them ever since they have disappeared by the hand of a sovereign, eternal God. This is comforting to real sinners, to know that God knows us enough to know that his mercy is exhaustless and his forgiveness is effectual and bringing comfort to our soul when he takes them away from us. That is good, isn't it? Upwards, outward. Here's another one that's so very critically important. It's in verse 17. Notice what it says in verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is what? From everlasting to everlasting. Is that amazing or what? But the mercy of the Lord is from eternity past to eternity future. Do you know what we get with that? Endless mercy. Limitless mercy, unretrievable forgiveness, and endless mercy for all eternity. You know you are in good shape when you are in the center of that kind of blessing. Is that right? You are in good shape. And, and, and this is why I believe that what God says in Romans chapter 1 to all of us creatures, are us little putians, are us little demigods, us, us, us people who kind of want to take matters into our own hand. The big reason why most people will go to hell is because they are unthankful. Because they were not thankful and did not give God glory, he gave them over. Now, when you have a God who shows you limitless mercy, irrevocable and irretrievable forgiveness of sins, and mercy from everlasting to everlasting, you're supposed to live your whole life saying, God is good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That's the kind of people that God wants. That's the kind of people God wants. See, because he didn't give you a whole lot of space, a whole lot of room. You figured it out if you're a child of God. Man, you know what? God knows I'm going to mess up. He knows that. He, he just knows I'm going to mess up. And he didn't really give a brother a lot of room to work it out. And that's because God values relationship. And that's the whole point of forgiveness of sins. I'm getting ready to go to work on about five points of forgiveness of sins in your outline, although there is so much to say about it. Just work with me now as we rise up from our text for, for a moment and begin to, to deal with it. We have just looked at the paradoxical reflection uh, and marveling of God's grace and mercy under what I have called the threefold scope of his forgiveness, upward, outward, and onward. You guys got that? Upward, outward, and onward, an unlimited storehouse of God's mercy for those who fear him and who love him. Now I want to state that the reason why this language is given in verses 10 through verse 13 or 10 through verse uh, uh, 12 is in order that you and I might understand God buttressing that language over against the limitations of who we are. Now look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 13. Look at verse 13. Now, like as a father pitieth his what? So the Lord what? Pitieth them that what? Remember, I told you that God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace is not to everyone. It's to those that fear him, that is reverence him and worship him. 
and loves him and are in covenant with him. God make it, makes promises like that only to those who want to call him Lord. Now, I want to show you how this magnanimity of God's person and God's work in forgiveness and mercy is, as it were, buttressed or juxtaposed over against the limitations of who you and I are. Remember, he shows us because he what? Knows us. He shows us because he knows us. As a father pitied his children. Now, dads, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lift up the word pity and go, I got to work on this. And let me explain this a little bit exegetically so we can remove ourselves from the faulty prism that is often foisted on teaching in our culture around, you know, uh, psychologically centered human beings. I talked about this with our women's theology class yesterday. Um, Great class. If you weren't there, you should have been there, DLG, and uh, get the CD. You want to hear it. We live largely in a culture where we are defined by our culture in terms of who we are ontologically as human beings. What God really says about who you are lies largely in your spiritual qualities. He does not deny the emotional component. He does not deny the physical factors. I'm about to unpack that now. You are physical, you are emotional, but you are largely spiritual. It is within that spiritual dimension that God is demanding and calling you into a relationship with him. They that worship God must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Spiritual means that you and I are dealing with God on a larger moral and ethical plane. That right and wrong is what God is about. And that requires spiritual connection with God, spiritual insight as to what God's will and purpose is for our life. You can be completely oblivious to the biblical superb nature of God's law and walk around as an emotional creature, basically building your own worldview, talking about how you know things by what you feel, and you can be utterly deceived. Now, God does not deny your feelings, but he does not define you by your feelings. Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are so deceiving. Nothing but the word of God is really worth believing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot and tittle of my word will pass away. Are y'all following me? Watch this now. When you are a believer in Christ and you really truly know God, you operate out of a trichotomous theology versus a dichotomous theology. Man who doesn't know God is soul and body. The man who knows God is soul, body, and spirit. The man who knows God, the woman who knows God is soul, body, and what? That's exactly right. When you are born again, made a new creature in Christ, God has quickened you. You are now united to the Father through the Son, and spiritual things matter to you. Studying God's Word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship 
in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless.